scripture reading today is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 29. And our message today is the blessing of the Lord's Supper, which we are celebrating. This is the Lord's word. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment by himself. May the Lord bless us in the reading of this holy word. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, it's good to see new faces. It's good to see old faces. Um, praise God for his faithfulness to us. We are in the last quarter of this year, 2017. This church has been in existence for about nine months now. And praise be to God for his faithfulness to us. We measure our growth in a way that the world doesn't measure our growth, and it's actually kind of hard to quantify. For the measure of growth according to scriptures, that's, numbers are good, but more than anything else, it's, it's like broken character and Christian character. It's how people start to understand their lives before the Lord, try to understand more of their sinfulness before God, and so in the same manner understand great God's grace really is. For some of you, you might have grown immensely these last night, must understand how, how precious Scripture really is. Without the Word of God, you, you're, just, you're just a ship lost at sea. Some of you have come to a realization of how important the body of Christ is. That this church is no longer simply an extension of a fellowship, a bigger church, but that this is ours that God has bestowed upon us to steward. That we belong to one another. And some of you have had such a profound sense of that now. And as God grows each and every one of us in our hearts towards Him, we share that with one another. And so we grow in our character as a church. And we pray to the Lord, Lord, we are imperfect, but we are striving to love you. But we are not seeking to praise ourselves. We are seeking to point each other and others to Christ, that he alone can save. We pray to God, God, allow this church Be the bearer of good news 
who wants significance and purpose. May we, by your grace, demonstrate that as well as we can, that they may see that you are the answer to all things. So nine months has gone by. And I thank God. And we should thank God for the grace that he has given Today we take a little bit of a respite from our sermon series on defending and proclaiming Christ. And we take a, a short time here to understand a little bit about the sacrament that we celebrate here today called the Lord's Supper or, or Communion. And we go to this passage here in 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 23 through 29. If you become a pastor one of these days, some of you, this is a passage that you, you actually have to memorize, to know and to understand in order to, to give communion. And I remember distinctly having to memorize this passage and, and to recite it in front of our, our presbytery in order for them to, to know that I understand the significance and importance of the sacrament that is being given. Now, here in this passage today, we have a very distinct sort of situation in the church of Corinth. Now, if you've read scripture, and if you've read some of the introductions perhaps, uh, you will know that the church of Corinth is a very peculiar and particular church. I remember growing up in Philadelphia and going through the streets of North Philly, and there would be churches all over, and there would be churches called like the Church of Philadelphia. Okay, Philadelphia. We're in Philadelphia, but looking at the word Philadelphia. Um, and then I saw other churches that are the Church of Ephesus. So, okay, they want they want to be known like as the Church of Ephesus, a church that has unity in the body of Christ. Uh, there's another church that said the Church of, of, of Philippi. I said, okay, they they, they want to really be known as a church that has a true. There's another church that said uh, the Berean church. It's like, okay, they're, you know, from Acts, well, they were the ones who carefully studied scriptures. So they wouldn't be known as a church that studied scripture. And there's one, there's one church, and everybody passed it. Uh, I, would, I, I would, it would just play with my mind. It was the church of Corinth in Philadelphia. And I'd be like, why would you, be, why would you want to name your church the church? Remember, this is a church that had every single problem in the world that you can think of. Sexual immorality, leadership, squabbling, and fighting over um, who has authority, who has power. Um, teaching that was not consonant with the gospel, just infiltrating the people. The people there sort of accepting this, this bad teaching and not disciplining them. And Paul saying, listen, you've got to get rid of this guy. He's painting your church. This is a church that if you were to come visit, you would say, this is a lot of problems. <laughs> I've got to go look for a different church. Maybe I'll go to the church of Ephesus. Maybe I'll go to the church of Philippi. We know that Paul is angry at this church. There's a, there's a lost letter that he alludes to in 2 Corinthians. A letter that he alludes to in 2 Corinthians about 
being sorry about his tone of his former letter and scolding them really harshly. But the letter by God's grace, perhaps, that we've really lost. When we go to heaven one day, I'm going to say, God, let me, let me see that letter. Let me see what that letter is. And here in this church, we have a situation where people are not taking communion properly. And Paul's addressing this issue that your worship has to be orderly and your worship has to be correct. In order to honor God, in order for you to be blessed by what we have here. Now in our context, we read passages before and after. You see that what's happening is that most likely, people are having lunch before communion. They're having like a potluck, and we do it after. They had like a potluck beforehand where people would eat. And the issue was, was that the, the rich people were simply eating all the food, and then the poor people were just sort of getting the scraps. And Paul was chiding them and saying, Listen, you guys are one body in Christ. All of you should be eating and sharing together. And, and, and it's weird because in that context, and some people say that this is a love feast that we see in Second Peter and in First Jude, where Christians gather together to eat. And, and it seems like, okay, they gather to eat before communion. That makes sense. But the question is, is why is why is he so upset? Why is Paul so upset? Not about communion per se, but so upset when people are not sharing food before communion. And so he does this before and after this passage. And it seems peculiar this passage of communion sits right in the midst of all. I propose very simply that Paul's concern is that the spirit of communion and its purpose is destroyed when God's people are not loving one another by caring and sharing in the physical needs of See, the, the, the purpose of communion is for us as God's people to see that we belong to one another. In the gospel, the first John, he says to us many, many times, listen, if you say you love your brother, and your brother has no clothes, if your brother has, has nothing, and you just say, God bless you, and go, you're not loving your brother. And God is saying the same thing here to Paul. That we're going to say, let's take the communion together and worship God together. And yet, as members of this church, see each other hunger, see each other without clothes, see each other without necessities, and just say, good luck. And the love of Christ is not in us. And the spirit is communion especially. It's not with.
So that's a threat context for this passage. That we're forgetting to love one another before we actually take the spiritual understanding or expression of that love. And so we as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ in this immediate context must understand before you take this to the very least do you love the people around you those of you who are members of this church do you love the people around you do you ask about their physical needs Are you quick to fill those needs? <clears throat> because without actions, actions of love, we lie to ourselves by calling them brothers and sisters to be taken. meeting last week and give you a list of all the people who are members. If you need that list to get out, give you that list. Go and pray for them. Go and ask what their needs are. We're all one body the Lord has given to us. But there's a, a deeper question now that, that, we, that we want to explore as we get into this passage. And the question is, how does this bless, how does this sacrament, where does it come from? And how are we as God's people blessed by it? Have you ever wondered that? You know, we believe that Christ has simply instituted two sacraments. These are physical representations of blessings that he has given to us, that he has commanded the church to do. We saw it when we, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago when we, when we baptized Arlene. Sacrament of baptism. And Christ tells us, so you, you need to go baptize. But if you hear someone confessing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, go and baptize them. Bring them into the body of Christ. Let all the people see and acknowledge that the work of a miracle has been done in this person. Allow them to come into the circle of God's people and nurture them and disciple them and grow them. No longer do you need to, in a sense, try to convince them that the world is, world is not for them, that the world is evil. They've been convinced of that. Now it's for us to help them to grow. And it's, it's, it's a way for us as a church to, to understand that the, the the, the spiritual reality with this physical representation, this pouring of water on the head. Jesus also commanded us to practice the Lord's Supper. And, and Paul here is really trying to emphasize 
that this was given to him by the Lord himself. He says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Paul's not saying I'm making this up. Paul's not saying I'm just trying this new tradition. Paul's not saying, well, this is just something that we as a church should do just to sort of show that we love one another. You know, this is a sort of like, as a church, hey, let's decide to have potluck every Sunday, first month. But this is something that God instituted for us to remember a spiritual reality of His presence and His love so that the church can be strengthened and encouraged. Paul said, I received this. I did not make it up. The Lord gave it to me, gave it to us. We didn't have a counsel and think of, think of this. Not simply passing on to you what the Lord Jesus gave to us. And so the authority and the blessing of communion, in particular in sacraments as a whole, the authority and blessing comes to us because it is instituted and given by Christ I think that's beautiful. God himself and his sovereignty, God himself and his infinite wisdom, realize that we as people, as corporal beings, that although the reality starts inside and out, the Holy Spirit works inside and out, that all of us need a visible representation to remind us of that spiritual reality. And that's the good that God has given to you and to me. Now the question arises, okay, the authority is given by Christ. He's given to the church. For us to practice, to understand once again, to renew our understanding and our love for God by taking these elements. But the question then is simply this. How does it bless us? How does the sacrament bless the believer? You know, is it the quality of the bread? The quality of the wine? Is it how I'm feeling today in my heart? That doesn't have to do with uh, how great the, the worship is that day. And this was a question that gave birth to the Reformation. We will celebrate at the end of this month the 500th year anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation. When Martin Luther posted his 95 faces on the door of the and that started the, the big chain of what we have today, of, of the Protestant Reformation. Now for Luther himself, the question really was about justification by faith. In other words, does God save me once and for all, once he comes into my life with his spirit, once I acknowledge myself as a sinner, once I trust my faith, my life with him, am I saved? Or do I need to keep doing more things to be saved? 
now Martin Luther and the rest of the reformers all, all believe that you know, you're justified by faith and faith alone. That, uh, that authentic faith, that trust in God, that that seal has been given to you by the Spirit, and nothing can separate you from the Lord. Now, the Catholic Church believes something, something very different. They believe in justification by faith alone. They'll say that. But only at the time of your baptism. But after your baptism, what occurs? You still live a life of sin. And instead of saying that those sins have been covered by Christ, as we as Protestants believe, they say, you need to cover those sins again. And how do you do that? Well, you need to go to the Catholic Church. You need to receive their sacrament of penance. And then you need to receive the Eucharist, their communion. And that Eucharist is the body and the blood of Christ, literally. And if you receive that, then all the sins that she's committed from the time you exercise those two sacraments to your baptism, they've all been forgiven. And the cycle goes on and on and on and on. That's why the Catholic Church is purgatory. It's like if you, if, you, know, you, you, went to, you went to penance, you, had, you took the Eucharist, and let's say you haven't gone to church for three months, well, you've got to account for those three months. You've got a capitalist with so you go to purgatory when you die, and you work it out somehow. Now, for us, you know, thinking about justification by faith, that's very heady. And it, it, it makes, as a Christian, it starts to make sense to you as you grow in the faith. You start to realize, listen, the Spirit lives in me. I don't need the church to intercede the, the sacraments of the Catholic Church that intercede on behalf of me in order for me to, to receive God's forgiveness. I, I receive it once and for all. But here's where communion right, and church history really took a turn and made a historical change. For many years, just the common folk, common person, Just think, they still do not have the description of vernacular yet. Martin Luther hasn't, hasn't done that yet. Everything was done in Latin. The only thing that common people knew was this. If I, in order for me to be forgiven and right with God, I need to get that I need to get that wine. I need to get that bread. If I don't get it, I'm not loved by God or forgiven by God. All my sins are still with me since my last time I went to confession. It's the last time I received the Eucharist. That's a lot of power that the Catholic Church yielded. But even more than that, it's a lot of power in a piece of bread, a piece of bread, and then a cup of wine. That's why in the Catholic Church they call it transubstantiation. They literally believe that the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Christ. They use Aristotelian notions of form and, and substance. The form is that of bread, the form of that is wine, but the substance therein, even though every molecule looks like <coughs> the substance is the actual blood 
of Jesus in the actual body of Christ. That's powerful. In the 16th century, that's powerful. The church, Catholic church, yielded lots of power. That's power. And all of a sudden, reformers came and said, we do not need the Catholic church to receive God's blessing. God's blessing comes directly to you. Now, in our Protestant denomination, there are a couple of ways of looking at this. If you grew up in the Korean church, in the Asian church, you most likely have the notion that this is simply a memorial. It's symbolic. There's no real blessing in it. It's something really special. And so, in Asian church, a lot of Korean churches, they will say, whoever wants to come, come get it. Whoever wants to come up, we receive it. So people, just anyone who will come and receive it. And they look at it as a memorial. They look at it as just sort of a, something that you do to help people to, to, to uh, um, understand what the gospel is. But in itself, it has no blessings to them. In fact, they reduce the sacrament to simply a ritual or a routine. And I've met pastors who do that. I said, but scripture tells us this is not a routine, it's not a ritual, it's a sacrament, there's a blessing in it. And they all say to me, there's nothing different from doing this than there is from washing people's feet. Jesus washed people's feet. Jesus told us to do this as well. They're the same thing. And they're not. If you take this simply as a memorial, if you just take this as sort of a symbolic ritual just, just to do it, you're not being scriptural. Now, Martin Luther didn't, didn't go that way. That was, this guy in Zwingli really, really championed that. And, but Martin Luther, well, he, he himself was perplexed. Um, very perplexed about how to deal with this. On the one hand, he wanted to be like the Catholic Church saying that this is a body of blood. Literally. But he didn't want to be like Zwingli and say, just a memorial, just whatever. And he would just look at that and he would pound his fist. Just pound his fist and he goes, the body and the blood of Christ, even though it's not not there literally, it's sort of with it, it's there. And this whole sentence, this whole phrase was simply, Real presence. It's really there. It's really present. Present. And then you press and go, Martin Luther, what does that mean that it's present? He just go, real presence, real presence. What does that mean? But you can understand his heart. He knew it wasn't simply memorial, but he knew that it wasn't, it wasn't what the Catholic Church was teaching as a, as a method to, to, to really forgive sins. But then there's a real blessing there. He pounded his fist like, it's, it's real presence. And then this might be stating too far. I've read this from other scholars as well, and I'm convinced of this as well. But, um, there was one time where Zwingli and Luther came together to discuss um, the Lord's Supper. 
see they could agree together. And so to unify the Protestant Reformation. But they couldn't agree. So that's why we have Lutherans, that's why we have Methodists, that's why we have Reformed and Presbyterian. A lot of this has had to do with, with the Lord. And there's other things, but the Lord suffered was a big part of it. But I'm convinced that John Calvin was a little bit older by then and was involved in that discussion that perhaps the Protestant Reformation could have simply been one movement together. John Calvin said, listen, there's a blessing here. How is it we as Christians are blessed by this? And he said it's the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And when the believer, the Holy Spirit, comes and takes of it, and sort of marries the faith that God has given, and joins the faith that God has given to the elements, there is mysterious and gracious blessings of God's presence in the taking of the bread and take of the wine. The reason liking it to the preaching of God's word. The preaching of God's word itself, when we marry it with our faith, and our understanding of God, enlivens our hearts to worship Him. To love and, and so it is with the elements that we have here today that God allows us to do this. The body, of course, represents the body of God, what Jesus broken for you. The blood represents the cup of the new, uh, the new, the cup of new covenant in His blood. This together is a representation of God's new promises and dealings with us. No longer do we need to go through the law. No longer do we need to go through the Old Testament covenants. They all pointed to this new singular covenant promise in Christ himself that's been consummated in his sacrifice. And when Jesus tells us over to do this in remembrance of him, he does so to help us as a church to remind us of not simply our beginnings, but the source of all of our strength and being is in Christ himself, this in his death. And so he tells us to do this for how long? Until he comes back. So how often are we going to do this? We're going to do this until he comes back. You, we are not allowed to get tired of doing this. We're not allowed to look at this and go, why do we have to do this again? We look at this and go, we need this. We need to be blessed by this. We need to keep doing this until our Lord Jesus comes back. Because this reminds us God's grace for us is not some spiritual sort of under, sort of some spiritualized understanding of history, but it is history. 
and the bread and the wine to partake. It's from him. Verse 27 to 28, 29. That's why there's a warning. That's why we here at this church, we, we warn two types of people who are here. One, if you're not a member of a local church, please don't take. Please don't take. I'm not saying don't take just to make you guys feel bad or to exclude you. I'm saying don't take so that when you do understand the importance of a local church, where you love one another, give the shirt off your back to one another. You feed each other, you help each other. That this will become more precious to you. Don't insert yourself in a place where you don't belong yet. Find that place that you call home and then come. But the best analogy I can give to you is that listen, I'm married, right? I'm married. But that's, that's a special covenant. Imagine if one of you would say, hey, Pastor Young, you know, can I just hang out with you guys all the time? You guys are going to have vacation? Can I come with you? Can I enjoy being with you all? Like, that's ridiculous. And you're like, dude, I'm married here. What are you doing here? You don't belong in this. Just go. If I let, her, let that person come in, destroys the sanctity of marriage. Destroys what God has given. That's all I'm saying. Is that I want to keep the purity of this for you. So when you take with brothers and sisters, you can enjoy it. <coughs> you can weep for God has given us. The second type are for those of you who are members. If you are a member and and a lot of this is, is personal. Um, but if there's, there's, if there's a sin in your life, then you know that you have to correct. And it rests heavy upon you. And you say, listen, I'm not going to take this today. I'm going to make things right with my brother and right with my sister. There's a sin that I know that I am just too heavy involved that I need to repent and get out of that. If you're convinced of that, you don't need to take it. Pray to the Lord that He would restore your heart. Now, the reason why I say that's just a God and personal is because we'll always have sinful struggle with. We'll always have issues in our lives. So if I said that, that you have to be pure, none of us will think of me never. But God, God does give us moments, does He not? Where you know that you're not right to Go and make it right with the Lord. You're trying to, to keep the purity of this and trying to protect you at the same time. Let's enjoy this together as friends and so I say to you, those of you who are members of this church, those of you who are, who are members of good standing at a local church, you're welcome.
For those of you who are still wrestling with your faith, wrestling with belonging to a church, belonging to the church you can go to right now, please refrain. And instead, just go to the Lord. Again, if you, the next time you have the opportunity to take communion, it'll be precious. That's right. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy and all that you have done. Lord, we ask of you, Lord God, as we take communion.